Hi, welcome to this week's edition of Sony Music's Time to Talk. I'm your host, Sean Sennett, and I'm really pleased this week we've got a remarkable artist on the show, Amy Shark. I think she's one of the most interesting uh, singer-songwriters to have emerged out of Australia in the last 10 years, and she's certainly had a big impact around the world with her music. She's currently got a new single out called Everybody Rise. In the chat today, we go way back and talk about life before she became Amy Shark, what it's like now for her as a songwriter and performer, some of those very famous people that have declared themselves publicly as Amy Shark fans, like Elton John, Ed Sheeran, for example, who's just written with her. So sit back, relax, maybe grab a drink. Here's Amy Shark. Hey, Amy, thanks for joining me on Time to Talk today. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, it's funny. I used to do a bit of um, uh, sort of almost volunteer work down at the Gold Coast ABC, and they said you were like their go-to person to come in and play pre-being Amy Shark. Yeah, I I loved going there. I mean, I would have done anything. (laughs) I was knocking on every sort of radio station door, but I remember Nicole Dyer. Nicole 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 said it to me, yeah. Yeah, she she um she was so good to me at, at the start. You know, I had absolutely nothing going on and she was always kind of trying to find ways to squeeze me in um, to different radio sort of shows and stuff. So I owe a lot to them. No, she's wonderful. And she said to me, they'd get you in to do your stuff. Then if anybody ever cancelled, they always rang you. I know, <laughs> you yeah. The I, was the, I was the promising backup plan. And I always lived like sort of near the beach and they're, um, yeah, you would know, they're, oh, yeah. they're sort of right near the beach. So I, I, was, I was like a stone throw away. So <laughs> I was scrolling through your Instagram uh, last night and there's a great picture there where you're playing, I think it's probably on the Gold Coast, on your own, in a bar with an acoustic guitar, and then you scroll one more pizza to the right and it's you in a stadium. That really is a hell of a journey. Do you have to pinch yourself sometimes? Yeah, it's so funny because there's there's definitely been so many of those moments, but it's not until it's right in front of you. And um, it was a friend of mine sent me that photo and I was like, wow. And then, you know, it's not until you go back to back. And, and I did it probably 20 times, even when I posted that myself, I looked yeah. at it. And then I swiped and then I looked at it again and then I swiped and I was like, wow, that's it. Some days, you know, you're, you're on the move and you're going 24 seven. And I think, you know, with everything that's happened lately, it's slowed everyone down and it really, I really look at things and, and just think, wow, I've just done so much and it, it's really paid off and I can't believe that I, I get to play to that many people now. But it's funny because I really, I remember those days like it was yesterday playing at those pubs and counting down the minutes to my, you know, first break, my second break, and then the dinner break and, you know. So what's the most terrifying, playing to 50 people at a solo gig or playing to 50,000 people? Well, they can be so different because sometimes I can definitely be more nervous and it can be a lot more intimidating with a smaller group in a smaller room. Um, When it's a big room, you're not really – zoning in on one particular person you're just vibing the whole energy of the room so you can I can kind of go into my own head a lot easier doing that and I can just have fun or if I'm in the right type of you know mood which I usually am before a show but um you just can you can sort of be in your own world up there and and do your job but sometimes if you like when you first start out, you're not playing to those big rooms and you can see people's faces and or you could see someone yawning or you could see someone talking in the middle of a song you don't want them talking in. And it's, a, it's very off-putting and it can be very scary. 
Yeah, Robert Plant once said the small gigs were terrifying when you can see the whites of people's eyes. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And they're looking at you, you know, from your toes to your top of your head. And it's, especially for girls, it's very, it's, it's you know, intimidating. You mentioned uh, this has sort of been a reflective time during uh, the COVID lockdown. Have you been uh, writing a lot while you've been locked down? Yeah, I'm. It's it was weird for me because I had just been on such a writing binge since I released Love Monster, and I I, I was writing so much, and I had my my second album done three times over. You know, like I I, I thought I finished it, and then I went and wrote some more songs and. Then I did some traveling and wrote some more songs and then spent, you know, maybe six to eight months recording it at my house. And so I was kind of done. And then everything, and then I was sort of getting ready to release music and then everything, you know, the pandemic happened. And so now everyone's like, have you been writing? It's like, I've been writing. I've been writing so much. And yeah, of course, that's, I'm lucky that that's what I get to do now. Like I can do that and that yeah. passes the time and I still enjoy writing. But I, I had done so, I had written so many songs before this hit. So it's just very strange to just be like, keep on writing, you know. Do, are you one of those artists that sort of believes in the traditional form of the album? Because I know you've done EPs, you've done singles, but is the album the big thing for you? Do you like that storytelling over that arc? I do, yeah. I think I, I was always the type of fan, I guess, that loved really sinking my teeth into a whole album, a whole body of work and trying to sort of work out what kind of was going on in that artist's life and um, how, just how they how they put their songs together and, and what they finish it with. And I was always so interested in in just getting into a whole body of work rather than just you know, single EP, you know, it, it's just a different world now and I'm happy to adapt to it. But I think I, I think I always want to be an album artist because I like, you know, at the end of the day, it is my life and it's like I want to look back and go, this is, this is my, al- these are my albums, you know, I, and I like it. Like when Taylor Swift said the other day, she's talking about all her albums and it's, it's such a legacy to leave behind. So when you were a kid growing up, what were the big albums for you? I know you were an Alanis Morissette fan, weren't you? Jagged Little Pill changed my life. Um, changed hers too. <laughs> it did, yeah. <laughs> Didn't it ever? Oh my god! I actually loved. Um, my parents were into Guns and Roses, so we had like Use Your Illusion and um, uh, Appetite for Destruction. Oh, that's a and, great record. Yeah, they're they're brilliant, and I mean, Frog Stomp kind of changed a lot for me as well. Silverchair. My dad was really into Silverchair, and. Um, he was even into them when they won the Triple J competition when they were called Innocent Criminals. Yes, that's right. And so he was trying to get their very first um, single, which was called Stoned. And I, I ended up finding it in LA and I bought it. But um, I, yeah, I, I loved I loved Silverchair and I thought, wow, I maybe I don't have to. That was a point for me where I thought I don't have to be a really crazy trained Mariah Carey style singer to, to play music. I could just... You know, because Daniel doesn't sound like that, so. That's interesting. So it was more you were sort of attracted to a quality in the voice that sort of resonated with you. You weren't a girl or a person that thought, I have to hit all these notes to make it work. 
I respected them and yeah. I liked them, but I knew. <laughs> it's weird because I thought that with guitar at the start, I thought with guitar, I'm, I'm never going to be able to play guitar. I'm never going to be that good at guitar because I don't have the big hands and and I, I don't know. But then I got, I got really good at guitar and I had that want to get good and I was obsessed with getting good at guitar. But I never really cared much to to sing like you know Beyonce or anything I always respected them I love that that music but um yeah I never really I was more drawn to the imperfection of some people like the Smashing Pumpkins and um even like I mean she's got a beautiful voice but uh Linda Perry and Four Non Blondes I was just different voices I was always and and usually kind of melancholy voices I was attracted to. Uh, not that I was a sad kid, but I I just always loved that sort of music, that real emotional stuff, even before I even knew what they were talking about. <laughs> You're talking about guitar playing. I love the fact you've got a guitar tune on your Instagram page. I think it's on your Insta somewhere. I, <laughs> oh, I was thinking yeah. through, I saw that. I thought, I'm going to learn that song. I'm so bad at doing tutorials. Like, um, I just, I am patient, but I, get, I guess because it's usually been like my friends or my partner who asked me to teach them stuff and, and it just frustrates me so I I yeah I don't do many tutorials probably because I, I'm a bit self-deprecating and I don't think I'm that good um but then you know it's taken me a while people are like you are good you're, you're a good guitarist you know the, I think you just look at everyone that's better than you so you just constantly tell yourself you're not that good yeah well you know it, you are Amy Shark you don't have to be Eric Clapton as well do you yeah, well, that's it. That's that. Yeah, I'm never going to be Eric Clapton. <laughs> you know, the thing I, one of the things I love about your work is your lyrics. You write great lyrics. And when I hear a song, it's got the melody, it's got the structure, it's got great production. Then these little lines jump out. And I kind of made a list of some of them. Um, and all my veins pump blood into my throat so I can hit the note. I love that line. That's great. And I'm wondering you. when you're writing, are you kind of. Um, I call your house phone just to listen, to hear what your life might sound like. That is brilliant in a stalkerish kind of way, heartfelt <laughs> way, but I love it. Yeah, I, I can verge on the um, on the old stalker train, but it's I, I like to I think what it is, Sean, is I like to set the scene and and usually my songs come about a lot easier for me to write if I set the scene and I think you, you can hear it in um, they're quite similar. Uh, I, like the beginning of I Said Hi is I stand in the corner like a Thai boxer and, and then the, the beginning of A Door is I'm just going to stand with my bag hanging off my left arm and it's always kind of setting the scene, calling the house phone and, and just letting people know what, what I'm thinking at that time and, and where, I'm, where I am, where I take myself mentally to set up that song and I love doing that. You've got a great, um, it's almost like a novelist's approach to details in the lines. Are lyrics something when you write a set, you go back and just rework them over and over again? You know, I don't like to do that. I like to, because I've been, and this sounds really bad and it's probably not the best advice for songwriters, but I'm usually, I can, (laughs) I've been very blessed with being like on when I, like, like sometimes it's just come out straight away you know I I know that that happened with I Said Hi and Adore and I, I didn't have to do much editing because when I find the chords if they move me I, I don't know I just sometimes I'm just lucky that I'm just I'm in form at that yeah. moment that I need the right words in that melody and 
because I, I've been lucky with that, it does get frustrating when that doesn't come straight off the bat and I yeah. have to work for it. And I've had to do that with this next album. I've had to really stick with some guitar chords and some melodies and just try and find the right words because I know when they're the right words and I know when they're not the right words as well. I love this one, so I'm going to hit you with it. It's the fear in our hearts that goes away. It's the playful fight in a swimming pool. I mean, just that little detail of the swimming pool, everybody's felt that. Yeah, I'm so glad that you pull it. You're, you're pretty much pulling out all my favorite lines that I've ever written. Um, yeah, it's, you know, once again, I don't like to be too obvious, but, yeah. but also, um, yeah, you know, I just, it, <laughs> in my head, I start getting scared because I think no one's going to understand what I'm talking about because, because I have felt that I've been in that situation with someone in a swimming pool yeah. and, um, but then it's funny because you put a song out and people connect to it so much and, and it just, you all, I already feel so lucky to be a musician to write these songs, but when I have someone like you or, or, or a fan in the crowd that really connects to those lyrics, it's just like, could this get any better? Like it's so, like not only do I get to write exactly how I feel and the stories that I've lived and been through, but all these other people have done it too. Yeah. Like, it's pretty awesome. I, I guess that's what makes your songs really connect on another level, doesn't it? Those little details where people think, yeah, I felt that myself. And, and one of the things, uh, I went for a drive yesterday and I thought, I'm just going to listen to Amy Shark for like 45 minutes or an hour as I'm driving. I just let it wash over me. And I thought to myself, are all the best songs about unrecorded love? Not just yours, but generally all the best love songs, are they about <laughs> unrecorded love? Yeah, well, you know... <laughs> I heard, I think it was David Duchovny said once um, that y you're almost better off not getting what you want because just the, it's always, um, it's, you know, the grass is always greener type thing, but is it? And I don't know. I think I've definitely, I've definitely been in so many situations in my life when I was, you know, just either at high school or after high school where, um, you know, you spend time with someone who, you know, you, you form feelings for, and it's, it's a, I think I write about all the, um, I guess I want to say the hot moments, yeah. <laughs> you know, when, no, but it's true. It's like, I, I had this songwriting thing with it, with a young art, with a up and coming artist. And, and I was like, think about the hottest time, right? You don't need to sit down and talk about where you are right now. Like you don't have to do that. You need to be able to teleport yourself to that time mm. where it was the most, it's not even hot, like just, just emotional and, and dramatic. And you need to remember, you know, what, he sounded like or what she smelt like or what, what how he looked at you and, and what it felt like. And you need to remember so much. And if you can't do that, then I don't know if you're cut out to do this because you, yeah. because to, to resonate with someone and even just some of the lines that I come out with, it's only because I remember everything. And it's, it's a blessing and it's a curse because, you know, I go through so many things and I have conversations with people that don't leave me for months and yeah. I sit there and I mull over them and I'm, and I break them down and I unpack them and then I pack them again. And it's just, it does my head in, but I think that's how I get the good songs. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's those little details that uh, we spoke about or the real emotion you felt. And you've obviously got a gift where you can go back to a place in time and relive a moment to then bring it into a song. Um, is that something so you wake up one day and think, yeah, I really want to write about this subject? Or is it like those little sailors are gnawing away in your brain sending you messages? 
Oh, it's it's different each time, Sean. It's very different. Um, you know, some some days I won't have a clue. Um, there's so many songs. Like, I didn't know I was going to write I Said Hi when I did. It just, it was obviously the time for me to write a song like that. Yeah. And, and it just happened. And you just need to be so in tune with your mind and body almost. It's a real out-of-body experience because, you know, it, I never sit down. I very rarely sit down and say, I'm going to write about this because this is annoying me. It's just there. It's in the back of my head. It's subconsciously still annoying me or still hurting me yes. or still frustrating me. And I need I need some way to get it out. So when you're writing, do you kind of like to go into a deep, dark cave somewhere or are you sort of saying to your partner, don't bother me, don't come into my space, I'm in the meditative zone of composing? Oh, the, the amount of arguments that happen where Shane will get home and I'll just like, leave, you've got to get out, I'm on, I'm on fire right now, you can't be here. Like I, I don't, I, I've, yeah, I've only just got better at writing with other writers like um, – you know, I was lucky enough to have a session with Ed Sheeran and that and that was a time where I really had to step up and, and force myself to be comfortable with it. But, you know, as a rule, usually in my life, I, I've never written with people. It's such yeah. a personal thing. And and especially if someone's in the like, you know, my friends or Shane or whoever's in the house be like, Oh, just carry on, I'm I'm not even listening. It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I don't work like that. <laughs> you have to be out of the house. <laughs> I was going to mention Ed Sheeran to you, but I'm glad you brought him up first. I saw him on your Insta as well. What's it like writing a song with Ed Sheeran? <clears throat> um, scary. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it, you know, it was when, when he first walked in the room, I was like, oh, my God, here he is. It's the little ginger man. He exists, you know. And it's when someone that famous is in front of you, yeah. it, it's very, it's like I had to really... Um, switch on quick and and, and um, snap into professional mode, I guess. Yep. So um, once and and he's got this amazing energy where he, within about four to five minutes, I felt like I'd known him my whole life, wow. and we were just buddies, and and um, you know we'd plan to have beers and steaks that night, and it, it was just a comfortable thing. And I think he knew how to do that to make me relax yes. and be okay with writing, yeah. you know, back and forth with him. And that was the first experience where. Um, you know, he would say a lyric and, and we would talk about what we were going to write about. And, and that was weird for me anyway, because I was like, I never really know what I'm going to write about. And he's like, well, I think, you know, he was very well versed in my catalogue, which was cool. Oh, wow. You know, he'd done his homework and he was like, I think you need this sort of song and rah, rah, rah. And, 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 and what about this? And, and he would throw a line out and then I'll throw one out and be like, I like that. Let's do that. And then he'll have one. I'm like, I really like that. And then maybe if we come into the, you know, and it was, it actually was so fun because we were crafting something together and, f you know, it's not very often I have someone there to be excited with yeah. in the room. So we, we, it was just nice to have someone there to celebrate with at the end of the day, like, yes, how great is this song, you know, because usually I'm just sitting there by myself going, I think this is good. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you had like a bit of a creative tennis match that he, you put an idea over the net, he'd hit one back to you, right, and just keep yep. doing that until you finished with a song that goes for three and a half, four minutes. It was, it was so cool. It was, you know, I, and this is what's addictive with songwriting. And, you know, now I guess I'm, I'm a lot more open to, to writing songs like that. And I just, I never was really. And I mean, Ed Sheeran, I, I got very lucky with that. You know, it's, 
he's one of the best songwriters in the world. So it was always going to be pretty good. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, it, I was just lucky that I, um, that I was on that day. Cause some days, some days you're just not, some days yeah. I pick up the guitar and I'm like, I am absolutely useless today. I don't, I don't think I, you know, I'm a horrendous songwriter and I shouldn't be here. And then some days I'll write something. I'll be like, damn, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see Ed in that movie yesterday? Yes, how good is he in that movie? He's fantastic. And He's so good. I love that film. Yeah, I think it, it's so clever. Agreed. And it had to be Ed Sheeran to pull it off, right? Yeah. The guy had to be that great and then have what the other What was the guy. line he said? He goes, I reckon, dude. He goes, <laughs> hey, dude. <laughs> yeah. History could have been so much different. I know. No, just brilliant. Oh, what a yeah. great experience for you. It's interesting. I wanted to ask you about collaboration because when you, you know, became Amy Shark – a lot of it was about um, working with great producers that helped realise your vision. And, and I say became Amy Sharp because I, I interviewed The Edge once from U2 and he said to me, you know, Jack Nicholson wasn't born Jack Nicholson. He had to become Jack Nicholson over time, then he is Jack Nicholson. And I guess it's like you with, with Amy Shark. Your, your early records were teaching you how to become what you do now. I was going to ask you, what was the, um, how important were those producers you worked with in helping you realise the things that were in your head? Matt, yeah, it was, it was a huge step up that I, you know, you never know that you need. And, yeah. and it wasn't until, you know, I'd completely given up actually um, in making it anywhere because I guess, you know, once you reach your later 20s, it's like, you know, you, you sort of start <laughs> redirecting your plans. Um, mm. but it's, it, you're right. I, once I got to work with it, um, with M phases on a door, he just did things and cut things and edited in such a brutal way, but it was so, it just, it just, it taught me, I, I was kind of very word heavy back in the day. And, and, and that's only because I was using songs as my diary. Yeah. And, and I guess the craft of editing and making it a song that flows and, and cutting out all the rubbish you don't need, um, you know, putting beats and, and atmosphere in the in the song that I never could do by myself and, and all the DIY sort of stuff that I that I used to do with people I grew up with and, and we'd do it in like, you know, kitchens and garages and whatever. And I think this what I had to do to get to get M phases to do that though was not everyone would have the patience to do. You know, I had to I had no money, so I had to apply for a, a government grant and I didn't get it the first two times. And, I mean, oh. <laughs> that's a lot of writing to do to it get is. knocked back twice. And there was one guy on the board and to this day I still can't remember his name and I've been wanting to find time to find out, to remember who, who he was um, because it kind of just fell off the earth once I got it and then I got really busy and then it, he's just gone. But he, he put his hand up to help me write this application because he said, you're so close and your music has got legs. Like I can see it going somewhere. You've, wow. You're like a bit of a diamond in the rough, but I want to help you with this. And he helped me craft this application together and I got it. And um, and yeah, got to, I sent a couple of songs to Phases and and um, and then I wrote a door towards the end. I said, actually, and I felt really bad. I was like, can I change it again? I've got another song that I think is stronger than those two. And um and then yeah, the rest is history. But but and even with you know Dan Hume and uh, heaps of producers now have helped me craft that that sound, which is it, it was a difficult one because all my songs come from acoustic and they always have and they always will. 
but then they sort of know where to add in the little flavors and the you know whether it's a vocal pitch shift or a beat or a, or a synth and it all kind of balances out to make my sound which was very hard to find at the start yeah you're right it, it is all they all sound serve your songs in the end don't they your songs yeah. aren't serving their beats it's the other way around um thank you <laughs> so, so somebody like you know uh joel little or, or even jack antonoff is this working process different between all of those people are some of them quite um, labored and other things are quite quick it just, yeah, it honestly, each time can be different because you can just fall into a sound that you know is right for that song and or sometimes you have to fight for it and you have to wrestle with the song and I hate wrestling with songs. Um, but, I mean, with, with Jack and Joel, they both are so professional and, and know how to read the, the room in the studio so well that they both knew that I wanted to be alone when I was sort of crafting the verses and stuff together and and Jack was very quick to find those synth sounds and and also challenge me because you know it's I, I fought really hard to, to be here and and I you know I, I make it my job to be a strong female artist mm. and 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 show that in the studio because I kind of want to pave a way for a lot of other females that get very intimidated because it's very male heavy still in the industry, but I've been lucky to find producers that still challenge me and we get the result and they still hear me out. They know what I'm talking about. And it's just a good balance of listening, taking on their ideas, but then yeah. them being very eager to hear how I see the song um, and how I want it to go as well. You said recently that you want to become more adventurous with your melody writing and also you're experimenting with your voice more. Is there other is there artists you've seen as you're growing up where you saw changes in their work and they'd move it forward that you want to emulate? Not so much what they've done, but just they've inspired you? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, like all the time. I guess I, not one particular artist, but I think – I grow as a as an artist listening to different different artists. You know, like I'll go from, um, you know, I loved punk and I love and I, I borrow so many punk melodies and put them into pop songs, and that was my little trick. You know, and now I'm listening to you know, like bands like War on Drugs, and um, and I hear that sort of repetitiveness. Um, trans vibe and I love mm. that because I'm listening to every word mm. that they're saying and, and, and um, you know, a recent lover of Kurt Vile and, and, and just really, I don't know, I'm just listening to to a wider range of music now and, and obviously borrowing a lot of ideas from R&B, the R&B world as well. So um, there's not been an artist that I've really latched onto and and followed I, I've sort of grown and just and just sort of started listening to a, a very wide range of music hey how cool is it when I type your name into Apple and the f- second thing that comes up is Elton John's rocket hour <laughs> I mean could you imagine <laughs> your wildest dreams that. as a kid that Elton John would be shouting you out like he has in all those episodes of rocket hour the fact that Elton John knows <laughs> my name is enough to handle let alone you know, that day that I met him, it, that's another, you know, sort of experience where there, it, when Elton John walks in the room, there's a feeling in the room. It's like there's just greatness in this, in the, the whole energy of the room changes. But, but 
you know, you expect, you don't expect, but when, when someone is interviewing you and um, interested in your music, you you sort of know that they're going to know your bigger songs like, you know, I Said Hi and Adore. But when he said, he goes, you know, my favourite song of yours is The Idiot. I love the guitar and how it comes in and then you open it with, and I, I was just like, oh, God, you know this. Like, you know this album. You know my catalogue. And he didn't just know mine. He knew a bunch of, like, alternative sort of Australian. He's got a real thing for Australian music. He loves it. And he know he knows his stuff. He does his research. He's, yeah, it's it's very impressive. He knows more than I do, I think. Like, you know, more, more up-and-coming artists than I do. So it was impressive. I thought it was impressive. He kind of matched your, uh, your dress style in the photograph. So it's <laughs> yeah, like you had the we matching. Both- <laughs> I know, yeah, we were both sort of had our tracksuits on and, um, yeah, it was really, I think his was worth a little more than mine. <laughs> it was just like Gucci or something. So, but, yeah, he looks so great. He looks so great. So the the, um, the record, the new album, when do you think you might be releasing it? Next year? Well, I have to keep very tight-lipped on this, but I'm, I'm actually not too sure when this podcast is coming out. I probably could tell you, but... Um, yeah, I think um, it's. I think the the safest thing for me to say is it's it's done, and yeah. um, we're sort of biding our time. And and everyone, you know, went from having these concrete plans and and how you roll out an album and how how it happens. And I think now everyone's like treading water, and it's so different because I'm open to so many different things. You know, like. I, I used to feel like I was kind of in this cage and, and now I think having done it before and how the world is so different and weird every day, there's, you know, there's different things happening every day. I don't think there's any rules anymore. So I don't want to say anything just yet because I'm kind of open to, to being a little adventurous. So on, on a lighter note, uh, is Jaws still your favourite movie? I think it is because it's, it's not just because I've said that to people and they're like, oh, but the shark's so fake and it's this and it's that and all the acting. And I'm like, no, it's the feeling I get when I see it. When I see even the three names of Roy Schneider and, and I feel I feel this, um, it's such a, I feel like I'm at my nan's place and I'm building my own boat out of her dining chairs and stuff and putting the sheets over it and pretending I'm Chief Brody and, and it takes me back. I can just hear the music. I love the soundtrack. I love the way it's shot. And it just takes me, it means more to me than just the movie Jaws. You know, it yeah. means, it means it's my childhood. I loved it so much. I watched it every day and I, it scared me half to death. And I, I had, you know, I was growing my love for sharks at that time. So it, that, that movie w- will always be my favorite film, I think. It's a great movie. And considering you live near the water, that's you know, pretty great that you love that film so much. <laughs> I know. know, I know. I'm lucky I even still was able to swim, you know. I didn't go out too far. I always made sure there was like a small child in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great movie and you're right, it's not the shark, it's the idea of the shark. Yeah, that's, that's exactly that's- it. And, and you didn't have to see, you know, all these movies now and, and the, the CGI is great and, I, I look, I'm a sucker for any shark film but it was the way it was shot, it was so mysterious and clever mm. and the music and everything, you know, it was. It was just the idea of the shark and where he was and, yeah. So will you have a, a Diplo or Billy Corgan track on the record? Well, I, it's so funny and I always regret how much I put on my Instagram because people just, you know, 
assume that that's what's happening. But the best thing that I've done in the last um, two to three years is meet a lot of people and make great friendships and connections. And whether they're on this album or not, you know, they could be down the line. We might write a song for someone else. I might write a song for them. It, it's just a great, I've, I've opened myself up to just meet and mingle and, and just mm. really be amongst the scene. And that's what I really wanted to do because these people that I've been in the rooms with are geniuses and I'm a big fan of all of them. Um, there was one thing Billy Corgan helped me with, um, not necessarily on the album, but it was such a simple little thing that he changed with a song I was struggling with. And I was like, wow, that that's just changed the whole song and it's helped me immensely. And um, I can't talk about it now, but I, I will when the album's out. So it's a long way from Dorothy's Rainbow and Hansel Kiss Gradle, isn't it? <laughs> oh, God. You've really done your research. Damn it. I knew you would be good. Um, yes, it's come, I've come a long way since those days. <laughs> I, I love – we should say that they're the band names when you are at Southboard High School. I love – Band names for high school bands. They are oh, yeah. two classics. They got a real ring to them. Hey, that you know, like as soon as you say Dorothy's Rainbow and Hansel Kiss Gretel, they are nothing but high school band names. <laughs> um, do any original songs exist from that period? They're sort of hidden away <laughs> in a bottom drawer somewhere? I hope so. Um, I, you know, it's funny because I say that and I, I spent so many years cringing when anyone would bring them up and I'd be terrified because I used to feel very, you know, uh, it took me so long to get to where I am. I'm, I was so threatened, like, oh, no, don't listen to that and then yeah. and, and turn off me. But I'm, I'm I don't know, I, I, I look at it now and I think that's what made me and, and, and I, that's helped me craft to the songwriter I am today. And like you said about Jack Nicholson, it's like you need those moments, you need those bands to help you. And it's funny because there are a few songs that I know they had good melody to them you know they yeah. as bad as they were and as distorted and as angry and aggressive as we were in those bands um there was still some some brilliance to it there's all fragments of good ideas lurking in there i yeah. I, I asked my six-year-old daughter if she had a question for you she said is there a song you've written that means the most to you well yeah there's always songs that poke out i, I drive you mad i was very happy happy with Drive You Mad only because it was a real, any song that I, um, that I sort of end up looking at myself in the mirror and I, I kind of, they're very, they're the hardest songs to write, the ones that you're looking at yourself going, wow, I think I'm the problem um, and I think I have been the problem. They're, they're very difficult to write but I remember writing Drive You Mad and I felt like this massive sense of relief, you know, um, and I think when you come out with a melody that's not so difficult, it's like my, the easiest ones are the best. Like, I'm enough, I'm enough to drive you mad. It's like, oh, it, I don't know. I was just really, it just felt good. And there's a song on this new album. I can't tell you the name of it, but there's another song that I think beats Drive You Mad now. So, When you write a bunch of songs, do you have somebody that you sort of trust and play them to or ultimately is it Amy Shark's call? It's always my call, but Shane, um, my partner Shane, is my other ear, yeah. essentially, um, if I'm too close to the project or if there's been plenty of songs that I think are great and then I'll sleep on it and, and we would have just had an argument because he's he's told me it's not good enough or it's not that good or and then I'll wake up and realise... 
he's right, damn it. But um, he is my second ear and, and sometimes I can get too involved and, um, you know, I can tend, like, the early, in Love Monster, there was a few songs that were overcooked in the production side of things and I've learnt now to not overcook anything and to really just give the song sort of what it wants and not what I think it needs and not jam anything into the song that's not necessary. The song should stand on its own and it's a it's a lot more guitar heavy this album and, and I'm so, you know, it, the song just needed to stand by itself strong and not ha- have to have, you know, all this production to make it shine. Um, but Sh- Shane's, you know, he's, he's a very good... Um, He's, he's just he just knows songs and I think it's so good that he doesn't play guitar he doesn't you know he doesn't produce and I think that's why his ears are so um they're not poisoned yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> most of ours yeah yeah Amy thanks so much for taking the time to chat today I really appreciate it not a problem thanks for yeah thanks for making the time for me you're a bit of a superstar in the podcast world so thank you it was great to talk to you I really can't wait for the next record to come out same me too Let's chat again when it's when it's out. A uh, big thanks to Amy Shark for doing the podcast this week. And I think we all heard it. She pretty much agreed to come back and chat again when the new album's out. So we'll definitely hold it to that. And uh, please subscribe wherever you do listen to your podcasts. I'm your host, Sean Sennett. Please join us again very soon for another episode of Sony Music's Time to Talk. Music.